Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. This morning we're going to be in two different places. We're going to be in Psalm 24. What was that, church? And you guys are with it. Psalm 24, and we're also going to be in Galatians 5. And because we're covering kind of two different texts, uh, I would like for you, if you have uh, a Bible that you would open up to both those things, um, you're going to have to be coordinated and use two fingers to hold those places. But I think you can do it. I think you can. If you don't have a Bible, it is absolutely cool. We have strategically placed some underneath the chairs, kind of like... Uh, just under every section, so just tap somebody on the shoulder if you don't have the Bible this morning and you would like to read along and study with us, you can. Well, we're in our third week of the series called The Good Fight, and we believe here at the church, we believe there are some things in life that are worth fighting for, and yet there are some things that are not worth the fight. Well, as you probably could tell by the video just a moment ago, that the, the Lord has presented himself in such, in such ways, and we talked about this two weeks ago from the book of Exodus, the Lord is a warrior. He's a warrior church. And yet he has caused us to have a warrior type of, of uh, instinct within us. Not that we would just be, just be passive with everything, on, or everything in our life that goes on, but yet that we would have this warrior kind of ethos within us that we would fight for such things as the honor of the name that is Jesus. And in a world, in a culture that is being eroded by sin and by, that's causing Christians to doubt their faith, that it needs to raise up a warrior ethos within each and every one of us. If you call yourself a child of God this morning, we need to stand up and be united together in honor of the name. And what is that name, church? Jesus, that name. And then last week we talked about, in our second week of this series, that we talked about this idea of the prophets. And we're kind of covering the life of David in, in, in all of these messages, these five messages, of which we're in the third one this week. But we talked about how David was, was kind of a prophetic and, and, and the type of thing that he fought for, and he fought for truth. David fought for truth in his day. And each and every one of us need to take that warrior ethos, and we need to fight for truth in our day. We need to fight for truth because the world is evil and we do stand in opposition to things. And if you turn a blind eye to the opposition, you've already failed. And this morning we're talking about uh, this idea of the poet. And what do you think a poet fights for? I'll tell you what a poet fights for. When, uh, i tell you by a story. When Marlon and I were dating so many years ago, dating, about 21 years ago, I think, is when we started dating, which is incredible that you put up with me for 21 years. But I, I kind of knew this, and maybe that you did as well when you were kind of courting each other, or maybe, maybe this would help some students this morning to say, hey, I need to kind of up my game a little bit. One of the things that, that a poet fights for is the heart. The poet fights for the heart. And I remember back all those years ago that although, I mean, I was a kid, I had no idea what I was doing. I would come up with some just incredible poetry. And it would, it would usually start like this. Roses are red. It's clever, right? Violets are blue. You've heard this one. This is good. And I thought that was unique. I, I would come across with stuff like that. And then I realized, you know, the, the stuff that I would kind of come up with is roses are red, violets are blue, I like garlic, let me kiss you, you know, stuff like that. 
It just didn't have the effect that I really wanted it to. So then I kind of had to change my tactic, and I thought, you know what? I need to do something in my, in my relationship. If I want Marla to be my bride, then I need to do something more than just speak to her head. I need to speak to her heart. I need to speak to her heart. So then I changed my tactic, and it worked. I've been married for all these years. I realized that I wasn't that good at poetry, but I was decent at woodworking. This was hers. I've since then taken it and put it in my office, but that's okay. But I made this when, when I was a junior in high school, and I remember going through, and, and this was my way as a guy. I'm like, you know what? I don't understand all the complexities of love, and I don't understand how I'm going to fight for a heart, but one thing I do know is I understand wood. So I'm going to take this wood, and I'm going to make something, and I'm going to hand it to her, and that way if she ever dumped me, she would have a reminder that, hey, remember me? I did this for you. And the reality is this. I, I didn't know exactly what I was doing But I knew that I had to fight for her heart. I knew that I had to fight for her heart. All all through the scriptures, all through the scriptures, Old and New Testament, although you may never hear these words, but you you do see the word heart used a lot. And there's this, this wrestling and kind of grappling with people's hearts as the Israelites in the Old Testament, that God was, was wrestling with their hearts and he's, he's saying, come back to me, come back to me. And he'd say, if you don't come back to me, these things are going to happen. And then guess what? They didn't come back to him and then those things happened. And then God would keep to his promise and he'd say, if you would just repent and come back to me, then I would be in fellowship with you. And he was. And we see that Old and New Testament. And yet the fight, if I'm honest, the fight in, in Christians today I see is fading. It's gone. That we have, this, we have this church-like existence that if we just come into these doors and we kind of put up with an hour or maybe an hour and 20 minutes of, of a preacher rattling on for longer than what you want him to and you sing songs and you feel good when you leave and then you think that you've punched the clock and as a Christian I've done what I'm supposed to do. But I have to let you just in on something. If you don't realize that there is a fight for your heart every single day, you will be defeated. You're already in defeat because we have victory and it comes through the work and the name of Jesus Christ. Now, this is kind of interesting. I had mentioned, you know, Marla and I and according and I was fighting for a heart. And one of the things that we see consistent in the word of God, this is not necessarily what we're going to talk about for the rest of um, this talk, but one of the things that you do see if you read the word is this idea that the church is the bride of Christ and, and the Christ is the bridegroom. So you see this, this, this the, the verbiage used in, in basically in such a way that we would understand it. I mean, I understand, I understand that. I understand bridegroom and bride. We're the bride of Christ, that we're in a covenantal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that yet, there are things that we need to fight for. There are things that, that weigh on our heart. There are things that weigh on our heart that cause us to be out of fellowship with God. And really, the, the greatest battle that exists for you and I today, and I would hope, if you don't understand a single bit of what I say, that you would, at the end of the day, get this phrase. That the greatest battle that has been raging is for the redemption of the human heart. The greatest battle that has been raging for years and years and years. And I would say that, that in our life, the greatest human tragedy isn't that we would have a heart to fight for, but it's that we would have no spine to fight with. 
That we would sit back and say, I know that I feel emotionally distraught and physically distraught, and I, I feel that, and really the, the, the human heart is kind of the battlefield of all of these things. And not that we would sit back and just be battered and torn, but we would stand up with a firm backbone and say, you know what, I don't understand all the tricks of Satan, but I understand that I have victory in Christ, and I need to stand, I need to be upright before God. I don't need to slouch before God. I don't need to sit in defeat of God. I need to stand with God and fight for the truth in our day, in this time. And some of us, if I'm blatantly honest, some of us are not even fighting for our families. We sang the song Courageous, and that's an incredible song to me. It's an incredible movie. But it's one of those things that we're not even fighting for our families. And we wonder why there's this, this, this divide in marriages and why families are just eroding to our culture. It's because no one, specifically the men in the home, are not standing up to say there are some things worth fighting for. The Word of God this morning, Psalm 24, I want to give you the background of this very, very quickly. I don't need to do a whole lot of explanation, but Psalm 24 is kind of a psalm of, of celebration and worship. There had been this transition of the Ark of the Covenant, and it was brought into Jerusalem. This was a day that they, that they had awaited, and, and it was finally there. And yet, David kind of penned this, this poetry, if you will, and this was a song that they would sing every time that they would come to worship on the first day of the week. And that way, and you see the things that, he's talked, that he talks about here, is he wants them to be in the people's minds, and he wants them to have a challenged heart. The word says this, reading verses 1 through 6. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. The earth is the Lord's. We are the Lord's. What we do, how we live, is to be done in conjunction with the Lord. We were made to worship Almighty God. We all worship something. The question for you and I this morning is, what is it that we worship? What is it? What is it that you give your heart to? What is it that you, that you adore? What is it that awes you? If it's not Christ and it's something else, then there is a problem. Verse 3. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? He's causing us and, and this people, He's saying, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who is going to be able to come in the presence of God? Who is going to be able to stand before God? Verse 4 gives the answer. He says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. Verse 5, He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. First thing that I would like for us to be drawn attention to is that we worship an uncreated one. We worship an uncreated one. We throw words at God like omniscience and omnipotence, that he's all-knowing. That he's, he's all-powerful. And those are just kind of cover-all words think, in, in, in ways for us to humanly say, God's awesome, but I don't even understand. I just, I, we throw words at God to try and bring meaning, but we don't even understand all these things. As a matter of fact, however strong you think God is, he's, he's stronger. However much grace that you have experienced in your life, you haven't even scratched the surface. 
Wherever you are in your relationship with Christ, I want you to know He wants you to go deeper. He's the uncreated one. Our hearts were made to worship. Our hearts weren't just made to sing songs. They weren't just made to come and hear sermons like this and to have experiences like this. It was made to worship every day. That we would be able to, to, to come into the Lord's presence, like, it, like the questions that are asked in the beginning of verse 3, that who may you know, ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may be able to come into the presence of the Lord? The question is asked is, how are you worshiping Almighty God today? He is the uncreated one. We throw words at God because we don't even understand. We can't even fathom the way that He thinks. We can't fathom His strength. We can't fathom His mercy. We can't fathom His grace. But we can feel His comfort. We can feel His comfort. When He's, when he's close to us and we, we avail ourselves to Him, we can feel the warmth of His love. He's the uncreated one. There's an interesting quote. This would be on the stage. I love this. It's by a guy by the name of Manly Beasley. Okay, as a guy, I wish my name were Manly. That would be awesome. Like, I could, I could have, like, nothing but pink on, but you're going to think that I'm Manly if my name is Manly, right? Manly Beasley said this. He said, a glimpse, a glimpse of God will save you. He's saying, just by looking at the sheer perfection of Almighty God and looking at His, his holiness and His righteousness... It's saying when, when we receive Jesus Christ in a personal way, it's because we just see just a glimmer, just a glimpse of, of His glory and His splendor, and we look upon that, and, and it reflects upon us that we are sinful, that we're broken, and that we're in such a need of Him. So it just takes, all we see is just a glimpse of God to bring us to salvation. And yet, for most of us, the second part of this quote rings true. To gaze at Him will sanctify you. This is not just salvation by a glimpse and, oh, Jesus, I'm sinful, and, and you come pray a prayer, and you come sit at the altar, or you come kneel at the altar, and you pray a prayer, and then you walk out and you live however you want to live. What he's talking about here is this gaze and saying, not only am I going to have a glimpse at God, I don't want to just, I just want to just look at him and be like, man, I am sinful, I'm, I'm shameful, and, and just come before him and receive Christ. It's, it's talking about the rest of your life as a Christian. That yet we would gaze upon Him and we would say, Wow, He is the uncreated one. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is all-knowing. He is all-being. He, all he is everything. And we would gaze upon His beauty, as the psalm says. And as we gaze upon His beauty, that we would be so perplexed that we would live the rest of our life with an undivided heart. Because He is the uncreated one. And he loves us. Verse 3 and 4. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. For you and I this morning, just to, to stand in the presence of Almighty God and for us to, to not have the undivided hearts, what I would say is this, and the second thing that will be on your screen, is we have to have an unrelenting honesty within our own being, to say, who am I before God? Am I the person that God wants me to be? And did I just take a, just a glimpse at God and say, oh, God, thank you for saving me, and then go live the rest of my life the way that I wanted to live it? Or are we gazing upon the beauty of the Lord and the majesty and the splendor of the Lord and saying, God, I am not who I was, but I'm also not who I want to be? It takes this, this, this unrelenting honesty before God to say, how am I today? 
How, do, how, am I, how am I governing my heart today? How am I guarding my heart today? How am I guarding my, my, my spouse's heart today? How am I guarding my friend's heart today? How am I guarding my, my kids' hearts today? It takes this unrelenting honesty that we would always come before the presence of Almighty God and say, how am I doing today? How, how am I doing? That you would be honest with the Lord. He already knows but there's just something about this, this relationship when we pour things out to God and we just have this unrelenting honesty that we feel the warmth of His grace and His comfort and His love. Now, Galatians 5. Galatians 5, starting at verse 19. kind of harsh if you have a divided heart a divided heart these are the things that are probably very 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 obvious in your life verse 19 through 21 says this the acts of the sinful nature are obvious sexual immorality impurity and debauchery those are sensual sins sensual sins verse 20 Idolatry and witchcraft, those are superstitious sins. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Strong words from the word of God this morning. In the latter part of that text was talking about the social sins. So there's sensual sins. We understand that. There's superstitious sins. And then there are social sins. That's the sins that, that we do in conjunction with other people and that it affects other people even more directly than just ourselves. And I would say these, just take a glance at those. If you're of the redeemed of God, you should see obvious things in your life where, where you could say, maybe I struggled with these things in, in, in prior times, but if you're in a growing, walking, thriving relationship with Jesus Christ, these things should be, be fleeing from your life, that your heart should be less divided than what it was yesterday or less divided on the day that you received Christ, that there would be less, uh, less opportunity for you to kind of feed into that sinful nature because the sinful nature is, is the very war that rages on your heart because there's this tension of sin in our life and the more that we walk with Christ and we're sanctified or being set apart for Christ, it's that he's, he would be pointing out those sins in our life to say, you need to straighten this out, you need to straighten that out. This is wrong in your life. And that we would go before him, that we would say, God, I want to be, I want to be born, or I, I don't want to just be born again, but I want to walk in the light. I want to talk in the light. I want to live a life of worship before the uncreated one. But it takes an unrelenting honesty. And for clarity this morning, it's hard for you to be honest with who you really are. It's hard. And we turn a blind eye to these things, thinking if, if I don't look at it, it doesn't exist. But just for a moment, think of the war, the battleground of your heart. Think of all of the things that the Lord is trying to purge from your life. 
and from your heart. That He doesn't want an undivided heart. He wants, he wants all of you. He, wants you. he wants your body. He wants your mind. And He wants your heart. He wants your thoughts. He wants your emotions. He wants to regenerate. He wants to make all of those things new in Him. That we would be a new creation, as the Word says. Well, how do we do that? We do that with a relationship with Jesus Christ, a growing relationship. Not just a, a gaze at His splendor and, and his, his beauty and His majesty. Rather, not just a glimpse, but w- that we would live our life with a gaze, constantly seeing Him in His perfection. More in that text, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So we see the other side of the coin here. We see the divided heart and all of the sins, the superstitious sins, the the social sins, and all of those things. And now, Paul gives us the rest of the picture. And he says, "If, if you walk with Christ, you will exude, you will live out this fruit of the Spirit. As a Christian this morning, how are you doing with the fruit of the Spirit? And he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature. They have crucified. That sin nature within you has been crucified. You don't have to pick it up anymore. You don't have to live in that reality anymore. Jesus took that on the cross. If, you, if you're a Christian this morning, He took that and put that on the cross. He bore that shame. He took away that guilt. You're free from those sins. You don't, you don't have to live like that anymore. Quote I want to share with you. It's a movie quote. One of my favorite movies. It says this. It's from the movie Gladiator. Who's seen Gladiator? Yes. I said the word manly earlier, so everybody, all the men are like, they sit up and are like, I have that one. The movie Gladiator is an incredible movie, and one of the things that I want to just kind of draw out from this quote, if you have not seen it, there's two characters that are talking. Um, this guy by the name of uh, Commodus and Maximus. Commodus is, he is the the basically the, the leader in that time. He's the tyrant leader. And then you see Maximus, who is played by the character of Russell Crowe, who is basically been thrown into this position of being a gladiator and being done unjustly. But here's the, here's the dialogue. Commodus says this, Your fame is well-deserved, Spaniard. I don't believe there's anyone who's, who's been a gladiator that matched you. Why doesn't the hero reveal himself and tell us all your real name? Maximus says this, My name is Gladiator. Commodus comments back, he says, How dare you show your back to me, slave? You will remove your helmet and tell me your name. Maximus comments back, he says, My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix legions, loyal servant to the true emperor Marcus Aurelius, 
father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or in the next. Commodus goes before Maximus, and he calls him a slave. And he says, I don't care who you've been before, but you're a slave now. And Maximus stands upright, and he turns, and he faces him, and he tells him exactly who he is. I have to tell you this morning, you're not a slave to sin anymore. You're not, you're not identified by your sin anymore. Though you may feel it on your heart, that your, your emotions are just very distraught, and yet you feel the pain and the weight of your sin in the past, you don't have to live in that reality anymore. You're not a slave to sin anymore. Is anybody happy with that? We're not a slave to that anymore. And Commodus went before Maximus and he says, slave. And he tries to point out the very position that he's in. And Maximus stands upright and he says, I'm not a slave. I'm not captive to you. We're not captive to sin. At least we don't have to be. Ezekiel 36 26 says this. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is a promise from the prophet Ezekiel uh, about the days to come. It was a partial fulfillment with the nation of Israel, but then also it continues on with us today as being New Testament believers. And he says, I will give you a new heart, a new heart. And a new spirit will be within you. This new heart, this regenerated heart, this renewed heart. He says, this is who you are going to be. This is who we are this morning. If you're walking with Christ this morning, this is who you are. That you have a renewed heart. Live in that reality. That you have the spirit within you that has all of the fruit of the spirit that we just talked about. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. All those things. See, those are signs of a regenerated heart. That though you're not the the person that you want to be, but you're also not the person that you once were. And we should, as Christians, we should be able to look at our life or ask other people to step in, speak into our life and step into our life and say, do you see this fruit exude in my life? Do you see this fruit? Ezekiel gives us a promise. He says, "I, I will give you promise directly from the Lord to us. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What a great, great promise. Well, we have the unrelenting honesty and saying, okay, Lord, I, I, was, I was captivated by, by a glimpse and I'm being sanctified by a gaze at your beauty and your splendor and your majesty and I'm supposed to live the rest of my life being set apart for Christ and that, that happens when just constantly keeping in communication with the Lord Jesus whether it's through prayer, whether it's through groups like this whether it's through personal and, and more intimate Bible study that you would kind of peer into the Word and then it would peer back into your life and say, okay, you need to straighten this out. Your heart's a little divided here. you got a little sin here that He would come through and He would say, I want to take that away from you. All that happens on the platform of our heart. But then also it takes an undivided trust. It takes an undivided trust. And it talks about at the end of verse 4 this idea of chasing idols. You see, we... We tend to have a divided trust. We tend to have a divided trust. 
illustrate the point like this. If you're ever in a, in a public place, and maybe you see this a lot, you just have to look for it. If you're in a public place and maybe you see a family with some little ones into a, in, into a whether it's the mall or Walmart or some other wretched place like that or wherever, some place like that, a big, a big public place, and yet you see this you see this husband and wife and maybe a child, and all of a sudden the child gets into this place and they're overwhelmed by the size of it. And what does the child do? The child like holds up their hand and he's looking for mom and dad because they have an undivided trust of saying, I know the situation's bigger than me. I know this place is bigger than me. These people are bigger than me. It seems like I have no control and I'm powerless. But they have an undivided trust with their parents and they, if they're holding their father and mother's hand, they know everything's going to be okay. See, what happens with us is when things don't go exactly like we think they should, we start to have a divided trust. We start to think, Oh, God, I know I can trust you in these areas, but I don't know about these areas because my heart emotionally is really distraught right now. And God, I don't know if you're in this. And I, want you, I, I just want you to know that we're not to be... We're not to have a divided heart. We're not supposed to chase idols, even if that idol is our own pleasure. We're not supposed to chase those idols. Idols come in many forms. The word says that, that or not, not the word says, but it's been quoted many times, that the, that the human heart is an idol factory, that we just perpetuate and make more idols whether it's, it's stuff or whether it's people or whether it's relationships or, or whether it's position at work or whatever the case may be. And what the Lord Jesus is calling out to us and He says, I need your undivided trust. Though you feel this way, and that, that the battleground of your heart has taken a beating in so many ways, He says, I need your undivided trust because where you are today is not where I want you to be in 10 years. Where you are today is not where you were five years ago. And what this speaks of is trusting the process. Trust the process. This, this idea of undivided trust. Trust the process. Grab the Father's hand. Grab the Father's hand. When, when times are desperate and situation seems bleak and it seems absolutely hopeless, there's always this promise that we just hold the Father's hand, that we would just have this undivided trust with Him and that we would just have this unrelenting honesty within us that He is the uncreated one. He's bigger than our situation. He's bigger than our emotions. He's bigger than our greatest fear. He's bigger than our greatest doubt. And He's bigger than all of your stuff. And He says, all I want you to do is just trust me. I just want you to trust me. And he holds out his hand, and all we have to do is be like that child in Walmart who's overwhelmed by the situation and just take the Father's hand because the Father's hand is a place of comfort. Father's hand is a place of warmth. And the Father's hand is a thing that you can trust. Verse 5 and 6, back in Psalm 24. David wrote, He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. So David is going through, and this is this celebration of worship, and the, the Ark of the Covenant is finally getting to Jerusalem, and this day they've long awaited for. And David is saying, Here's the condition of your worship. 
You need to, to have these things in place. You need to understand that God is, is bigger than all these things. He's the uncreated one. And that he, it takes this unrelenting honesty to say, God, am I pure in your sight? Is my heart clean in your sight? And then we would just trust him. But then also we see in verse 5, it says, He will. Everybody say, He will. He will. We have the uncompromised hope in Christ. We have this uncompromised hope. This hope that tomorrow will be better than today. The hope that, that in five years, you'll be in a different place than you are right now. But it takes this, this idea of uncompromised hope. And David kind of takes those ideas and he says, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. This is something to come. The hope of things to come. We have this uncompromised hope if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, not just the hope eternally, of course we have that. But many of us, you know what, to be, just be completely honest with you, many of us, we don't live in light of eternity. We can't get over, and can't get over our stumbling feet of today. And yet we don't just have this hope of things eternally. We have hope that tomorrow will be better than today. That if we take the Father's hand and we just come before Him with honesty and, and we just also just grab that hand and trust the process that He's put you in, then He will give you this, this, this heart condition of hope and saying that tomorrow's going to be better than today. Tomorrow's going to be better than today. Second Chronicles 16.9 says this, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. That's in this life, folks. That the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. That the Lord would look down upon the earth and He doesn't just see a mass of people. He doesn't just see animals. And He doesn't just see Mount Everest because it's the tallest thing that sticks above the earth. He looks down and He looks into individuals. That He is omnipresent. That He's all-knowing. That He's all-powerful. And He peers into us. And He peers into the human condition. And the Word says that the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. What a promise. What a promise. That He would look upon our life and He would say, they need a little something today. Their hearts hearts are bent toward me, but their emotions are destroyed. And the Lord says, I'll give you strength. I'll build you up. That's uncompromised hope. That's one of those things. Not just hope of the eternal, but hope that tomorrow would be better than today. See, we have a part to play in this church. We have a part to play. We can't live our life our way and then expect to have this uncompromised hope. The Lord Jesus calls to us as the uncreated one. He says he wants us to have this unrelenting honesty that David speaks about. He says, go before the Lord with with a clean heart, with a pure heart. And if we do that and we're just honest before the Lord... That we wouldn't just live our life of just by the glimpse of our salvation, but by the gaze of His perfection. And because of that, that we, we can have that, that confidence in His loyalty, but then also we can have that uncompromised hope in eternity. And that tomorrow will be better than today. You know, my prayer coming into this morning 
And I have been, I have really been looking forward to this message because I know that there's some person, whether that's in this room or somebody that would hear this message in the future who absolutely needed it. That there's, there's some battered hearts within earshot of this message that the Lord would be speaking directly into. A couple things that happen with a situation like this. Men speak to you directly. Many, many men have lived their life and they've, they felt defeat. And because they felt defeat and they felt inadequacy, that they've responded back in fear, in an isolation, and in anger. That's what men are prone to. And I would just say, for you to have a regenerate heart, it takes all four of those things that were panned out. That's the devil's schemes. The devil's schemes for you men is to make you live in fear, to isolate yourself from other people, and that you would, that you would so far re- you remove yourself from the fellowship, especially of other Christians, so that they wouldn't see you as the broken person that you really are. But I wanted to just tell you, if you're living your life in, in isolation, and you haven't been honest before the Lord about your fear and about your doubts and about your worries, it's no wonder you feel the way you do. Because what he wants is that honesty within you. But then, ladies, many of you have, have a heart has, that has just, that you, because of the emotions that you feel, that, that you're controlled by your emotions. That you're, you're up one day and you're down the next day and you're up one day and then you're up a little bit farther the next day and then you're down the next day. It's because you're controlled by your emotions. You're up and you're down. You're up and you're down. And if you're honest with yourself, there are many times you don't even know where you are. And if you go back to Galatians 5, it says, all of those things need to be nailed to the cross. They need to be killed. They need to be crucified. That we would be redeemed. That you would be renewed. That even those emotions, and even your emotions, have been, had the effect of sin in the fall of Genesis 3. And yet, your emotions, your thoughts, all need redeemed. What I would hope for you is that you would maybe use this message, that you would take some time and you would really evaluate your heart before the Lord and say, Lord, is my heart divided? Because there are things worth fighting for and your heart is one of them. Some questions to guide us in this. This may be good for you. This is not going to be on the screen. So if you want to write these down, you can. If not, I can get them to you later. Some questions just to kind of guide you and just the, the idea of redeeming the reconciliation of your heart. Ask questions like this. What is God working out in me? That way it doesn't put the emphasis on your emotions. It doesn't put the emphasis on your situation. It doesn't put the emphasis on your your circumstance. It says, what is God working out in me? Trusting the process. Trusting the process. What is God working out in me? More specifically, what sins is He trying to free me from? What sins is He trying to free me from? What sins is he trying to eradicate or remove from my life? What is, what's your heart looking like? What sins is he trying to purge from your life? What victory is he trying to give you? But he wants you 
to not just have the glimpse of him, but he wants to, you to gaze upon him. Who sits at the center of, of your emotions? Who sits at the center of your emotions? Do you have the four walls of your emotions all corded off and you've got it all blocked off and it's about you and it's about your emotions and it's about how I feel and it's about how other people look at me and all of these things? I would say you need to invite Christ in. You need to destroy those walls. Invite Christ in. That way your emotions can even be regenerated. Different direction. Who is it that I'm pleasing by the decisions that I'm making? Who is it that I'm pleasing? Who is it that I'm pleasing by the decisions that I'm making? Am I trying to please the Lord or am I trying to please myself and then I'm just trying to make God happy? Who are you trying to please with the life that you're living? Who are you trying to please? Are you, are you, are you trying to live a life of worship? Worshiping the uncreated one that we see from verses 1 and 2? Is that what you're trying to do? And then maybe, maybe if you're a Christian and you have, maybe, you, maybe you're not happy with the Christian life. And maybe that you have received Christ a long time ago, but you've really no, never felt the, the warmth of the Spirit, the confidence that comes with somebody who's, who's living in the Spirit. Maybe this question's for you. Are my life choices affecting my fellowship with God? Are my life choices affecting my fellowship with God? I would say if you're living your life the way that you want to, purely for the way that you want to, then you are out of fellowship with God. And if you're out of fellowship with God, you're inviting into a world of sin. And here are some things that are accompanied with a, with a life of sin. You will feel fear. You will feel shame. And you will feel guilt. If your life, if you, in your emotions, that you have those three things going on all the time, I would say more than likely you're out of fellowship with God in one area or another. And yet you have a divided heart. And Christ calls us to have an undivided heart. I want the Lord Jesus to awaken our hearts to something better than what we've ever experienced. I want, him to, uh, I want Him to stir in us just this desire and maybe just a little backbone to go with our words that we would not just have just church experiences, that we would have revelation from God in our life. That, that our, our Sunday would only be a, a time where we would just come together and celebrate the work of God that's been going on Monday through Saturday. And yet that we wouldn't just come into Sunday morning and just say, God, could you just fill my cup up? Could you just fill my cup up? Could you just fill my cup up? That our cups would already be filled when we come in here and we come together, that we would do what David talks about in Psalm 24 and just come together to worship. That we would just say, we're about to have, we're about to get our worship on in this place. And it takes every one of us with undivided hearts to be solely bent on only seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness, as Matthew 6.33 says. And the Word says that all other things will be given unto us. But if we seek first His kingdom and we seek, secondly, His righteousness, what a blessed 
promise of the life that we could live in Him. Awaken our hearts, Lord. Thank you.